podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On today's 1012 podcast, we welcome Josh Neighbors and briefly Parker Fleming to wrap up the 2022-2023 season for the Big 12, specifically in football and basketball, and look ahead to next season specifically, which incoming fan base is going to be the most disappointed. Then Grace Jewell, UCF softball pitcher, joins us to talk about her incredible performance and the team so far this year. And Big 12 Big East matchups for next year in basketball. We got to talk about the ones that we love the most. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. I apologize. I'm a little under the weather this week. I tried to make sure that I cut out all of the coughs from my interview with Josh and Parker that's coming up, mostly Josh, a little bit of Parker. He had an emergency. He had to leave, so he's here for what's called a cameo. Try to cut them all off. If I missed one, I apologize. I cannot shake this stinking thing. It's driving me nuts. But uh, it wasn't going to keep me from putting out an episode this week. It had to be done. There is some news we need to get to before we have our interviews. One of those, shout out to our friend Shahan Raja of CBS Sports. He put out a very nice article Over at CBS, uh, breaking down the college football recruiting expenses for each Power 5 team uh, for 2022 compared to the average of 2017 to 2022. That includes every Big 12 school. Oklahoma and Texas, the big spinners in the Big 12, no shock there. $2.6 million for Oklahoma, $2.4 million for Texas. Both have just about doubled what they were spending previously. West Virginia, not sure how this helps Neil Brown, but West Virginia Third most at $971,000. Now, mind you, Baylor and TCU are not on this because they are private institutions. They do not have to release this information. Texas Tech at 930. Kansas at 846. Kansas State at 841. Iowa State at 804. Then a ways back is Oklahoma State at $455,689. It's actually less than the average they were spending from 2017 to 2022. It's the only Big 12 school that saw a decrease in the amount that they were spending versus the previous total year average. In fact, they're one of only three Power 5 schools that saw a decrease. Florida State, who we all know is Baroque, and Arizona State, who saw a slight decrease, but is is under investigation. Oh, by the way, that $455,689 is the lowest in the P5. Now, before you're ready to come out and defend Mike Gundy, look, it does speak to Mike Gundy's ability to recruit well. They do an incredible job of building relationships with players. That's why they have had such success. They have a good uh, relationship-building recruiting staff. But that matters less now than ever. NIL matters the most. And I think it's why you're seeing struggles with Oklahoma State in recruiting. They're going to have to make adjustments. They are. Granted, Mike Gundy will earn $7,625,000 this year. He gets a bump every year on his contract. That's at a school with the lowest operating revenue in the current Big 12. Again, TCU and Baylor, not part of this, but I have it on good authority that TCU and Baylor spend money. I feel confident saying Oklahoma State is the lowest in the Big 12 and the Power 5 from recruiting budget. 
They're spending a large amount on their head coach who deserves to be well compensated. But you have to ask the question, should you be making that much money when you are unable to spend in other places? Don't know. Definitely a question that needs to be addressed and something I'm sure Oklahoma State fans are going to be talking about a lot this week. A couple of uh, shout outs from us. News and notes. Congrats to the Kansas women's basketball team on winning the women's NIT. The Jayhawks absolutely deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. They should have been there. They should have been in the field of 64. They got left out, and they said, all right, we'll show you. And they proved that the committee was wrong by going out and winning the WNIT. Yes, I do believe that that's what they did. They proved that they were wrong. And I love that it happened for them. Congrats to Iowa State's Ashley Jones on winning her third straight Cheryl Miller Award. Here's a fun fact for you. Uh, she now owns half of the awards all time. It's been in existence for six years. She's got three of them. She's had an absolutely incredible career. She's now the Cyclone record holder for points, points per game, field goals, three-pointers, free throws, rebounds, double-doubles, and games played and started. At this point, offensively, she is the Iowa State women's basketball record book. What an incredible career for Ashley Jones. They are definitely going to miss her in Ames. Last piece of news, matchups are set for the Big 12 and the Big East for the Big 12 Big East battle for 2023. Now, obviously, the Big 12 SEC challenge is going away. The SEC will now face the ACC over on ESPN. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, There is no rumor or anything as of yet as to whether or not the Big 12 and Big 10 will establish a rivalry. Obviously, it used to be Big 12 SEC and Big 10 ACC with Fox eventually taking on more Big 12 basketball and having a large chunk of the Big Ten, I would fully expect to see a Big 12, Big Ten challenge. But for now, we still have the Big 12 and the Big East, and we have 11 matchups this year. And we got this. This is we don't know when these games are going to be played, but we know who's playing who and where. I mean, the one at the top, defending national champs UConn at Kansas. It is a blue blood battle. And if you just rolled your eyes at the idea that I said UConn is a blue blood, let me just tell you, UConn has five national titles under three different head coaches since 1999. Those five national titles are more than Kansas has all time. Folks, they're blue blood. That matchup in Fog Allen is incredible. That is going to be a ticket anyone and everyone is going to fight to get. Texas going to Marquette to face Shaka Smart. Oh, the narratives. I love it. Incredible. Houston, the only of the four incoming schools who will be participating this year. I think that makes a lot of sense. They will travel to Xavier. Fantastic matchup. Villanova at Kansas State. Villanova, who's won multiple national championships. Kansas State had an incredible season. That is a great matchup in Manhattan. You get St. John's at West Virginia. That's Rick Pitino in year one versus Bob Huggins. Yes, yes, yes. Creighton at Oklahoma State. That's a ton of fun. Who doesn't want to watch that one? You're going to get Providence at Oklahoma, Iowa State at DePaul, Texas Tech at Butler, TCU at Georgetown, and Seton Hall at Baylor. Now, the Seton Hall at Baylor one, I'm a little bit like, eh. Maybe you could have done a little bit better than that. Sitton Hall was 17 and 16 overall, 10 and 10 this past season. I'm a little bit disappointed in that one. I mean, look, it's it's going to be hard. The Big 12 is really good. They just are. Would have, would have preferred a better matchup for Providence. Maybe Oklahoma facing off against Georgetown as opposed to TCU. Iowa State, DePaul, I, you know, they're not all perfect. But that top five or six, that's fantastic. That should be some really good basketball. This challenge is one that needs to be invested in. This battle is one that I hope Fox has the Big East. Fox is going to have the Big 12 more in basketball in the future contract. I hope this is one 
that becomes an all-day thing on Fox, similar to the way the Big 12 SEC challenge was. Now, it doesn't have to be at the end of January, but it has not been as good because it's been spread out over multiple weeks. I want a one-day affair. I want a one-day affair on a Saturday taking over Fox and Fox Sports 1. That's what I want. Fox Fox Sports 1. If you got to throw a Fox Sports 2, that's fine because you have 11 matches. But I hope this gets what it deserves moving forward. You know what else we deserve moving forward? More home field apparel. The most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever put on your body. I am wearing the home field apparel basketball tee, the exclusive one you only got if you signed up for their uh, March, the third month mayhem mystery boxes, which were incredible. I ended with a South Carolina shirt, and it's actually a really good one, and I don't don't need an SEC shirt in my life, but it's a good one with the Gamecock right on the front. I got the Yukon, the Husky Slide shirt. I got a Gonzaga shirt for when they eventually join the Big 12. I'll keep making that joke until it doesn't happen. They have every current and future Big 12 school available at Homefield Apparel right now. They just keep throwing out more great stuff. Throwing out more great stuff. You saw the Kansas State Bomber jacket, right? They've got a Houston dad hat. Folks, go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, and get 15% off your first order on the most comfortable college sports apparel with the greatest logos and designs you will ever find anywhere. Go shop now. Go use the promo code. All right. We got two great interviews. We've got Grace Jewell of UCF Softball. We've got Josh Neighbors of Lockdown Big 12. We've got Parker Fleming of Stats of War for a brief cameo. Got a lot to get to. Let's get to it. She was just named the AAC Pitcher of the Week after an incredible performance last week uh, for UCF. Grace Jewell joining the podcast. Grace, welcome to the show. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Look, two starts last week, three appearances, a .39 ERA helping your team to a 4-0 week against ECU and North Florida. Congratulations on the on the award from the AAC last week. A very impressive performance. Uh, like, what was what was last week for you? Like, like for you, what 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 separated last week from some of the? I mean, you've been great all season, but what separated last week? I would say last week, um, it just the momentum from the week before, after we went uh, one and two with Wichita. It kind of like was like, okay, I don't want to keep this going. I want to be there for my team. I want to put my team on my back. And I just uh, stepped up and just really focused on what ECU was and like what they brought. And I just brought my stuff to them. So really just was there for my team, putting my team on my back, I would say. This has been, I think, I mean, look, expectations have been raised at UCF. There's no question after what they did last year, hosting supers or hosting regionals, going to supers. I'm not going to say the season has been necessarily a disappointment, but it, it's not up to what I think fans are kind of hoping to see from UCF year in and year out. But how is the team viewing this season so far? I would say the team is viewing it. Obviously, we're not the same team as last year, and I don't think any team is going to be the same every single year. So it's just Coach Bear is big on finding our identity each year. So this year we're still trying to find our identity and what we're bringing. And so I think that, we're a very tough team and we're a very different team and we have a lot of fun when we're playing. So it's just about just having that same, I would say like belief when we're playing, bringing that each, each game. And um, that's, what's big for us this year is just having belief and competing each game, knowing that each team is different and we have to bring different stuff and 
they're just going to fight back with us. How does a team find its identity? I'm really I, people talk about that. Players talk about it all the time. You just mentioned it. Your team is still looking to find its identity. How do you guys do that? What at what point does it click for you when you go? We figured out who we are during the tough times. Yeah, I would say during the tough times. So when things don't seem like they're working, that's when you really find your identity. So when I don't know, say we're losing three games, and then we like really set back and we're like, okay, we need to think about what we're doing, and then we just we just take a deep breath and it kind of just finds itself. You don't have to do too much when things are not going your way. It's just about taking it easy and like figuring out the little things, taking care of the little things and stuff like that. I definitely think along with looking for identity, this is not a team that has, has found its peak yet. You guys continue to improve each week. It's been very impressive. You continue to prove on the mound as well. As a junior to your third year at UCF, more responsibility has been placed on your shoulders. What have you? What do you attribute to your growth this year that, that seeing you go, I mean, from an ERA of 6.3 your freshman year to a 2.26 right now, I mean, that is that's an impressive leap. What do you attribute to your growth as a, as a pitcher? I would say I'm more of a leader this year. So a lot more of my teammates look up to me and I have a bunch of, uh, I have three freshman pitchers and then I have Caitlin and then two uh, other junior pitchers as well. Um, and so they all look to me. I know my defense looks to me and it's just about, I feel very trusted on the team. So I, I don't know. I don't feel like I have to do too much because I know my defense is going to have my back. So before then, I felt like my freshman and sophomore year felt like I have to do too much and like, oh, I have to strike all these people out. But really, I didn't have to do that. I know my defense has my back this year and I know my team has my back. And so I think that's really what helped me. We've had Coach Ball Malone on the podcast a couple of times. She's always a great interview. She is fantastic. She's well-spoken. But I'm curious from a player perspective. I've never been able to ask one of you guys this, so I'm curious. what, How do you describe Coach Ball Malone? Coach Bear is a fearless leader she will compete with us at practice i know that she believes in each and every one of us and she will put she'll put anybody into the lineup and she will have 100 percent belief in them that they will get the job done she's just an amazing coach you guys have a midweek game today you have the weekend off and then midweek next week what 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 is the team planning to do this weekend with this this kind of break in the season for you i would say we're going to focus on um the things that we haven't taken care of yet. So we'll play SCCU tomorrow. And then um, from there, we'll just practice um, for our next week's games and just watch film. But also it's like a good recovery also because we've been playing, playing, playing. So it's kind of nice to have like the weekend off, not really off, but off from playing games. Yeah, I've heard that it can be a really important for programs to be able to have that kind of time to just really focus not on a specific opponent, but on yourselves and really work on the things where you feel you've been lacking that you haven't been able to put as much time into uh, throughout the season as you prepare for opponents each week. Yeah, I would say that it's very important. Well, well let me ask for you, what is the one thing you're going to be focusing on personally from your performance this weekend? Um, this weekend, I'm going to focus on throwing more first pitch strikes. So when I go into my bullpen, I'll probably go and uh, practice those, practice different counts. And then also my endurance. So I'll probably go and work out, stretch. I'm very big this year on like stretching and like my mobility because obviously I'm playing a lot more games so my body is a lot more tired. So I'm trying to figure out like what I need to do for my body to feel better on like games where I'm pitching. Either I'm starting or I'm coming in relief. So just making sure my body is taken care of also. All right. What's your best pitch? My best pitch, I would say 
my fastball. Definitely my fastball. How fast are you getting it right now? Right now, I'm sitting at like 69, 68, 69. So yeah, high 60s, sometimes 70s, but yeah. Very nice, very nice. Okay, all right. Well, Grace, I do appreciate your time. I know you guys have practiced and then you're going to be uh, heading off on the road. So I, I have to ask this. Um, I was doing a little bit of reading about you and, and you and I chatted beforehand. Uh, tell me about this unofficial team song of the season. What What is this song that this team is jamming at to in the locker room uh, every game? It is Super Gremlins by Kodak. It is our team song. Everybody on the team knows it. It's a pretty funny song. Everybody loves it. So, yeah. You want you want to sing a few bars for us while we have it? <laughs> uh, I, I definitely would. And I kind of need, like, the, the beat to start it off. But if, for everybody that's listening, go turn it on. It's, a, it's an awesome song. <laughs> All right. You heard Grace. Uh, Super Gremlins by Kodak. Go check it out. That is, uh, if you want to be part of the team this season, that's the song to jam out to. Grace, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, continue the incredible run you have been on. This team is going to continue to get better. Uh, and good luck and enjoy your, your, I guess, weekend off. We'll call it that, even though it's not really a weekend off. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey there, folks. This is Justin Hiles of the Viva La Cats podcast, which is now proudly presented by the Big 12's premier podcasting group, the 1012 Network. My co-host Steve and I cover all the ins and outs of Cincinnati football and basketball, for better or for worse. We release a new episode every single week, sometimes with guests, sometimes it's just the two of us kicking back talking Bearcats. So, if you like raw emotion and heavy recency bias, we are definitely victims of that. It clouds our conscious, and it should cloud yours too. We also have an every once in a while Twitter Spaces post-game review on our page at Pod on Twitter, where we invite all of our friends and enemies to discuss everything that we just witnessed minutes prior. If you like your podcast with a laid-back environment, way too serious about stupid ideas, the deepest of stat pools, or just straight-up white noise, then you've come to your one-stop shop for everything Bearcats. Viva the Cats. Yes, baseball and softball are still going strong, so too is men's and women's tennis, but it feels like a good time now, but with football and men's and women's basketball wrapped, to have a bit of a look back at the year for the Big 12 and maybe a little bit of a look forward uh, for the conference once the four new members join. So it felt like a good time for a bit of a roundtable. So joining me uh, for his first time here on the show, very excited to have the host of the Locked On Big 12 podcast, Josh Neighbors, joining us. Welcome to the 1012, sir. Glad to be here. Very excited. It seemed like the right idea to bring some Big 12 specific, not just school specific <laughs> people here uh, to do a Big 12 roundtable. Also joining us, uh, you know him from covering TCU. You know him as Stats war on Twitter uh, with Purple Theory now going f- conference wide, uh, thanks to uh, a specific hiring on the football program. Uh, we're very happy to have Parker Fleming, our good bearded friend, back on the podcast. Parker, welcome. Hey, uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that thanks to uh, Dave Campbell's Texas football convincing us to not stop podcasting entirely. We're kind of covering the covering the Big Twelve in uh, in full. So excited to take a, a bigger view this uh, this fall for sure. Uh, yeah, I've seen their network they're building. Uh, of course, that's where Between Two Bears went. Uh, our good friends Melissa is over there as well with the TCU pod, and then and you and uh, and Grant have uh, moved Purple Theory over to cover the Big Twelve. Uh, it's a it's a nice little network that they're assembling for themselves over at uh, Dave Campbell's. Yeah, plenty of plenty of interesting folks for sure. Uh, a lot of talent. Very good. Uh, okay, so the the job today is kind of look back at the Big 12. And like I said, there's still some sports going on. The athletic season will, is not complete yet and probably won't be until 
Oklahoma wins the Women's College World Series. But it did feel like a good enough time to at least look at the year as a whole for the Big 12 because the 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 sports that bring in the highest amount of interest in football and basketball have now wrapped. And those are the ones that we know as Big 12 fans. Football is the big generator of, of revenue and interest. Uh, men's and women's basketball continuing to grow. We've seen the numbers go up this year. We know that Brett Yormark has big plans for Big 12 basketball. So I kind of want to start by just looking back at the year. We have I mean, a, a ton happened this year. You get TCU and Kansas State in the Big 12 title in football. Kansas State making it the first time since it came back. The title game came back. TCU going all the way to the national championship game uh, in basketball. No, you did not have a Final Four team from the Big 12 and men's or women's for the first time in quite some time, but you still had Kansas State making the Elite Eight in the first year of Jerome Tang. Uh, you have Houston making a good run, Texas as well, though I'm kind of half including Texas and Oklahoma in some of these conversations because the upcoming season will be their last. So looking back at the year for the Big 12, and Josh, I'm going to let you start first as a first-time guest here. What can we take away from what happened this year? How do we view the year for the Big 12? Is it just a year on its own, the last season of the round robin, or is there something we can actually take away from this past men's and women's and football, uh, men's and women's basketball and football season to, to kind of carry us forward into 2024 and forward? Yeah, so I think a lot of uh, a lot of coverage that a lot of folks have been doing because it does great numbers is the television stuff, and I know the Pac-12 is going through their or- ordeal right now. But um, if we're talking about like compelling night in, night out, Saturday in, Saturday out content, uh, the Big Twelve is we always say it's so competitive. It really is that like the fact that they don't have bad teams in either football or basketball makes the actual games themselves very compelling, and I think. The example of this are, you know, Kansas was our uh, kind of, you know, they were their team that took the beating every single year from everybody. And if they stunned someone, wow, they stunned somebody, but they kind of took their their lashings. They went to a bowl game this year. And even Iowa State, despite the fact that their, you know, offense was horrible, their defense was fantastic this, you know, for most of the season this year. Still a tough out. You know, West Virginia is still a tough out. There, there was no Colorado. There was no Stanford. Uh, you know, there's, there's no, I guess you'd say last year's Arizona, like those kind of schools don't exist in, in big 12 football, at least. And then in big 12 basketball, you know, those, I guess you could use some of those same schools, the same examples. There is none of that, right. Uh, Oklahoma, one of the teams that missed the tournament from the league trounced Alabama. I, you know, I would actually agree with Brandon Miller when he said, I think we're still the best team in the country outside of UConn. He's probably right. Uh, you know, they, they beat them by 30 some points. So the overall competition in this league in, in the two biggest sports, football, men's basketball, all the way through are, it's very strong. I think the one question is though, once you go to 12 teams, somebody's got to take, somebody's got to take some losses. And so I think the big question is how competitive, or, or are you gonna be able to maintain some of the competitive balance that you had this year, or is it going to go back to looking like a normal league where it's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's some two and tens in there, three and 11, you know, three and uh, three and nines four and eights, then basketball kind of on a much larger scale. Is that going to be the case? So I think the competition was great. Big question. Will it remain that way moving forward when you add four new schools who have not been in the league? Yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested in, in kind of competition specifically from like a football lens. Cause like, you know, it's hard to exactly quantify basketball. I think by most metrics, the big 12 is the best conference top to bottom. Um, but you know, they go what nine and seven in uh tournament play, um, I think. And so that only matters, you know, so much, uh, from year to year, but, 
Um, looking at football, I think the biggest thing that I take away from 2023 is um, a little bit the the kind of nature of how these football teams are built and what that means for like national perception. Specifically, if you like the games, there are nine if you include TCU's um, college uh, national championship appearance. And you see like Baylor, Oklahoma State completely gassed. Um, Kansas really hard to play play defense. They lose in triple overtime to Arkansas. Oklahoma depleted squad. Texas ton of opt outs. Uh, TCU and Kansas State and Texas Tech were really the three that like were healthy enough at the end of the season to play in a bowl game. And you saw Kansas State kind of get outclassed by Alabama. You saw Texas Tech beat a beaten down Ole Miss team. TCU scrapes by Michigan and then just completely runs out of gas against Georgia. Um, it's a hard leap to get through. And I wonder if the bowl record doesn't reflect more so that every team took a beating in the season, um, more so than it does necessarily the quality of, of the, the football programs. But um, I think that the big thing to take away is that the new Big 12 is going to be wide open from year to year. It's not going to be um, what it has been in the current iteration, which has been, you know, Oklahoma and then everyone else. Um, I think we're going to see 2023 on. It's really important, especially bringing in these new teams, to highlight the reality of development cycles and the fact that dynastic college football winning is more commonly that you're good two to three years out of every five to six years, as opposed to you're in the national championship every year, you're in a conference title every year. Um, and so that those fluctuations, I think, are going to have to be something that, um, you know, outside pundits and fans and analysts all uh, consider in the Big 12, because it is going to be such a developmental heavy league. I mean, you look at these guys, like Aranda's not assembling mercenaries. Joey McGuire's not assembling mercenaries. Sonny Dykes is not assembling mercenaries. Those are hoping to get their guys in, have them play a two to three year cycle and and peak at the right time and, and compete for a national championship or compete for a Big 12 championship. So um that's that's really interesting. I think that's kind of the big shift we're looking at is is that it is going to be a program a program dependent league, and that there's going to be these development cycles that are really really important. Listening to some of the national shows of the last year or so, when they talk about the Big Twelve, obviously it's not going to be as good at the top as say the SEC. There's not an Alabama, there's not a Georgia here. I understand TCU's run, but we saw what TCU did against Georgia. We saw Kansas State against Alabama in a single postseason game, and so. I don't think there's an argument to say like none of these teams have the the depth or caliber of, of rosters Alabama. None of them have the depth or caliber of rosters Georgia. And that's fine. That, that, that is what it is. It's a whole separate thing. Uh, most of the teams in the SEC don't actually have the depth and caliber of roster as Alabama and Georgia, despite what they may want you to think because they're playing in the SEC. So uh, take those out of the way because SEC has a couple. I think the Big Ten with Ohio State and Michigan kind of have a couple comes into the ACC and then and the Pac-12 is still there. Um, does the Big 12 need a dominant team? Because it feels like there's a, a section of college football fans and media where their only concern is the, is the best. All they care about is the teams that can win the national championship. And if you're not them, it's not that you don't matter, but that's the only part of the section of the sport that they really care about versus the people who just love the sport and the weirdness of it and want to root for underdogs and want to cheer for teams that just are quirky and fun. Does the Big 12 have to have a another Oklahoma, a dominant program, 
that just runs things that can find themselves in the postseason on a regular basis? Or is the Big 12 going to be fine with a cycle or a collection of maybe three, four, five teams who rotate through at the top of the conference on a regular basis? So we had the rotation this this last three years, right? OU, Iowa State, then it went to Baylor, Oklahoma State, then it went to TCU, Kansas State. And this, this is a question I think a lot of us in the Big 12 circles have tackled. Um, it's better it's better off on a competitive competitive sense if we have all that cycling, right? Fan, and the fan interest of the league gets better. But when it comes to the winning part of it, and I think Parker just mentioned this, like the winning cycle, uh, I'm, I'm just a big believer like winning begets, you know, begets winning. So just the more you win, the better off you probably are going to be to keep on winning. Um, and in any of Oklahoma State, like I think, you know, I think they're a team that you can see it's kind of cyclical for them where they win. You know, I think that's kind of like, that's kind of where you want to be. It's kind of striking distance. But I think what's interesting is when the college football playoff expands, I think we're going to get a bunch of, I think we're going to get more, not a bunch, but we're going to get more schools, more fan bases that get what Oklahoma got in that stretch where they kept making the CFP and kept losing. I think you're going to have more of that because as much as you said, well, I want to throw away those top teams and we, and, and we should, because like there's a gap, like eventually you will meet those top teams and eventually you will, you will most likely lose to those top teams. So there's going to be that frustration of like, we keep getting there, but how do we, how do we kick down the door? Right. Um, so I, I think, I think the best case scenario is you hope that, you know, that they, uh, they keep winning and keep winning and keep winning. You get a school that does Oklahoma state, for example, maybe they they were to keep winning, keep winning, keep winning and like eventually get over the hump. But uh, I don't, I'm not really sure that that that's going to happen. Um, so I like it overall. If there's more cycling. Cause I mean, I'll be wrong more often, but like it's, I think it's more fun. It makes the week to week of it a lot more fun as well. But I think overall, if you want, if you want to get some respect, if you want to finally win a championship, you're going to need a consistent winner, uh, one or two of them, I think, because it's going to be hard, like because you're going to have a bunch of guys who haven't been there that often. Like this is their one opportunity, and they're going to get to that big stage, much like TCU did, and 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 look like they're out or be outclassed. Uh, and K State, same thing too. I think you're going to have that against a roster full of guys who have been there before, won or lost games there before, but but have been there before and physically also don't match up too. Yeah, there's uh, Parker had to to bounce for just a second. He'll be back shortly. Uh, it I think it's just kind of an acceptance of like you're not going to have a team like Alabama or Georgia that's or no. Ohio State, or Michigan. That's fine. You know what? That is that's just the reality. And 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 if you are a Big Twelve fan and you're mad by someone stating that, like reality is what it is. It just it just kind of is. Um, you don't have the budgets. Uh, you, there's not a single athletic department in the Big 12 who handles athletics the way that Clemson does, which is why Clemson has been able to build itself the way it does, which is we're going to spend all our money on football and every other Yeah, you're going to need like a Baylor or TCU, right? I mean, it's a private school where you can get you can kind of get more money from outside places and be in a relatively desirable place in a good location. Like, it, it, I, I would say it's not impossible, but it's it's really unlikely that they reach that point. But I do think if you were to pick candidates like TCU and Baylor, be those candidates. You, you have to have the budget. You have to have the money, and you have to have. Again, Clemson is the Clemson to me has always been the model of a Big Twelve school not named Oklahoma Correct. Texas was going to try and do that. Would say, we know mm-hmm. we're in the Big Twelve. Basketball's supposed to matter. All these things, forget them. We're we're not we're not going to worry about those. All we're going to spend money on is football, and everybody else will get whatever scraps are left over, and you'll get more as we get better and get more money because you know, more money comes in because we win at football. Um, but that takes time to get going and time to develop. And I, I haven't seen a specific school in the Big 12. And I do think Baylor and TCU are good examples of ones that uh, that could do it. Um, 
if they decided to go that route. I actually think Texas Tech has more money than people actually realize and could try to. Yeah. One, I think their NIL is doing very, very well. Um, yes. um, that's another school that could do just because of the financial resources. But I think it's okay to say there's not an Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State or Michigan or Clemson here. But I do think that while it won't get the credit that having one of those does, Kansas making a bowl game, West Virginia wasn't great last year. Uh, Oklahoma State was bad at the end of the year. But like not having a bottom of the conference that's that had a Kansas. like Because every time someone would talk about the Big 12, you had Kansas at the bottom. And it was just the laughing stock. To not have a school or to know that the bottom of your conference is not abysmal. The depth from top to bottom is really good. <coughs> is something that will benefit the Big 12. And so, no, you're not going to have a national championship contender. But knowing that you don't have a laughing stock team, and there's always going to be teams that lose. Somebody has to lose games. There's going to be teams at the bottom. Coaches are going to get fired. New coaches are going to come in. This is the cycle of college football. But not having that Kansas problem, that laughing stock team at the bottom. As you mentioned, Colorado, the Pac-12, uh, Vanderbilt in the SEC, multiple teams in the ACC, uh, Rutgers or Maryland for the Pac-12, whatever. It, you can have teams that aren't as good and are going to just be fine making bowl games. But as long as the bottom of the conference has elevated itself up to where we don't have a team that goes three years in a row and wins three total games. Like I, I do think that benefits the Big 12 long-term and benefits the view of the Big 12 where you're not having to have a conversation every year about, oh, by the way, they also have that team, which is one of the worst things in college football right. that's in that conference. Yeah, I mean, somebody eventually has to lose games. You know, it's part of this. But but even you know even what I'll say about West Virginia last year, like think about some of the games, you know, that pit game they should have won. And you think about the game, they went to Virginia Tech, not very good team, Virginia Tech, but they went, you know, to a hostile environment on a, a night game and won that game. They beat, I believe they beat OU and then they beat Oklahoma uh, they beat Oklahoma State, right? And those two games they won. And so it's like the, you know, those schools, whatever they had, they were down. But in a bad year for West Virginia, they scored like three relatively significant victories in, in a vacuum, right? And so it's, you know, if you want to have down teams, and I'm not, this is not justifying, you know, Neil Brown did a good job, all kinds of stuff. But like, that's, if you're going to have down teams, that's kind of what you want them to look like, right? Because they're still doing, they're still accomplishing things in a season like that. And that's kind of what you want your bottom end to look like. On your top end, you know, I think, I think um, to, to kind of, you know, say like, they're not horribly far off. TCU did beat Michigan, right? They led wire to wire in that game. And that should be acknowledged. And the big question is not like we know it. We know a TCU could beat a Washington. We know they could beat a Michigan. And once again, Michigan thumped the high flying, you know, Ohio State team. And that Michigan team never even got a lead once, once against TCU. So there is a gap. The gap to like the, the, uh, I mean, you're like last year, right? We did the top, top teams. You know, there is a gap. I think Ohio State, you know, talent wise. Georgia and Alabama is right there, you know, but in that kind of next tier, the middle tier, like the right game is the big 12 can win those tie get to the top. But, you know, I, I think from an overall standpoint, like you mentioned, you know, West Virginia having a bad year, but still having those three wins kind of shows you like, that's the kind of bad, bad teams you want to have in your league. Cause they're still competitive depth. Josh, how much are you going to miss the round Robin in football? Like, uh, I, I look, hurts. I do think it has, it has not helped the Big 12 as much as, as we had hoped it would because it forced more losses on teams at the bottom, and so it made the bottom of the conference worse. Correct. Um, and so you get conferences like, look, our conference is – look at these all these 6-6 six and six teams. It's like, yeah, because you don't 
opportunities for everyone to have wins and losses so everybody has nicer records. And so for the Big 12, it did hurt from that standpoint. And I think it made wins worse for like a Kansas or, or West Virginia at the bottom of the conference. But there was something to playing everybody that was obviously unique to the Big 12. Right. Was a ton of fun. You got to play everyone in your conference. Nobody else gets to do that. Um, and even with the conference game back, like we got rematches that were exciting because typically we got a rematch and we we usually saw the other team win. No, not past year. No, this year too. TCU, Kansas State. Like we saw the rematch go the other way. So we got these really exciting games. How much are you going to miss the round robin, man? Uh, you know, I, I think as college football fans, this is the kind of stuff that we don't like. Like that's the one great thing about the Big Twelve. Now, the round robin did screw them, right? In the one true champion years, um, which was the, you know just so laughable and ridiculous. And Thanks, um, they, yeah, yeah, that was that was one of the worst calls, uh, you know, kind of the conference's history. Um, but you know, there was no excuse, right? You you played everybody. You didn't dodge anybody. And actually, to be honest, you know. I don't know how much of that. I feel like we don't have a ton of that conversation now, but like from a standpoint of, you know, if you look back on a season, Oh, well, that this team actually got there because they avoided these three teams that could never be said. Right. I mean, you know, K-State had trips, you know, a trip to Norman last year. They had to you know go out there and, and get that win. Obviously that was huge. And then they go to Baylor and they got that victory too. TC is obviously heroic win in a rivalry game. Right. Uh, you, you know, all of that stuff you want to, you want to keep. And you know, as conferences get bigger, they need to, they need the one thing they have to do is they have to make sure you find ways to keep these schedules fun and good. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, make sure season tickets, you know, you, you want to keep buying them. So that's the one thing, but that is, that is part of this, right? Like, you gotta, you gotta make sure you get different teams in there. You gotta make sure you're taking trips to different places. And I do think that whatever sadness we feel for missing the round Robin, at least in the first few years, is going to be replaced by a happiness or a uh, not a happiness, but the interest in seeing the new schools come to town, right? You might be replacing a West Virginia and Oklahoma State with a an at BYU and a you know home for UCF, which is interest. Uh, while it might not be what we're used to, and I once again I love the round robin. I think it's I think it's a great way to decide who the best team is. Premier League has it right. You play everybody. You know we don't do home and away, but. In this this conference, you know, you, you get the homes, you get the aways. It's it makes it great. Yeah, I'm gonna miss it in football. I'm really gonna miss getting basketball. Like, oh, that, that's God. the thing of of not being able to play home and road at every single team is going to be disappointing. Um, yes, and I understand not trying to keep it once you get to twelve. Um, that you just you don't leave yourself much wiggle wiggle room. Yes, going to twenty conference games has benefited the Big Ten. Look how many teams they get in, and they don't do anything with it in men's basketball. It's it just really matter. They have been tricking the committee, and it's uh, embarrassing. Yeah. It's embarrassing. I've tweeted about this a bunch, Philip. It's it's in every year. It were embarrassing. Oh, Rutgers is seventeen and twelve. Like, okay, great. Let's get them in there. Let's make sure. That, yeah, yeah. So I feel you on that one. I, I will miss it in basketball a lot, both sides, men's Agreed. and women's, because you you got two opportunities, and you knew you were going to get. It's like, okay, we got to go on the road, but we are going to get them in our place as well. And that was just such a because I mean. Knowing you get Kansas at home every year is awesome. Now, awesome. knowing you get Baylor at home every year. And and it has, I think, developed, because you got home and away with everybody, it has developed some some more in-conference rivalries in basketball that we didn't used to have. Obviously, there's Iowa State and Kansas, but you want to see them play each other twice. You want to see Kansas and Baylor play twice every year. Uh, you want to see Texas Tech. Obviously, Texas is leaving, but like Texas Tech, 
that fan base is fiery. Like you want to see all these two opportunities and it's going to stink to miss on that. I think, especially with basketball to know that there's going to be years where you don't get somebody at home anymore. And I, I don't know if there's really a way, if there's not really a way to fix it. No, um, you can't go to, tw- you cannot go to 22 conference games. You're just not when you're playing. I wish we could though. Like, I mean, why not? Right. I mean, well, you'd end up, you'd end up hurting your teams, you know, like at some point I know that we have metrics now, but like, you end up having teams that are 16 and 16, right? If you're replacing Southern Illinois on a schedule with uh, Kansas State, you know, at, you know, home and away, that, that's kind of the challenge of that. But I, I will say this, you know, and Texas won the Big 12 tournament this year, and I guess the you know Big 12 champion. But like, it feels like to me, Kansas was your Big 12 champion in basketball because they played everybody at home and away. And after we after the season's over, and we tallied up who was the best after playing everybody at both places, Kansas was. So to me, your big 12 champion is Kansas. It's whatever team wins the conference outright to me as your true champion, because guess what? You didn't dodge anybody. Now, once again, this changes, but in basketball, I think it's number one where you're like, yeah, well, they didn't get, they didn't get, you know, they didn't get Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, which is a huge, you know, it's basically a loss, right? It's an automatic loss for most, most schools is playing that game. And even for Baylor, it was a win for a half. And then all of a sudden it just, you know, but 10 minutes later, they were down by 25 points. Like that is that, you know, that you're going to avoid that maybe sometimes. So, yeah. And it's also, you can avoid those opportunities, right? Like playing KU at home. If you miss that game, well, you, you know, crap, that that's a great chance for us to get a big win in our tournament resume, especially, you know, if it's a game in March where KU's, position the tournament's already kind of set, you know, kind of getting them on a Monday night after they just played Iowa State at home and to grind it out might be great for you, but you're not going to get that because you missed it out and did the schedule. Yeah, it it, it is going to, you know, it is, it is going to stink. And I think basketball is one where it hurts more because Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF aren't there basketball-wise yet to the level where it's like, well, we're still getting bangers. And look, they might be great. You know, they, might, they might have a good chance, but – they don't know what they don't know yet. And I have, I have a uh, sinking feeling that uh, night in and night out, this league is going to be tough for them. So, you know, they're not quite at the level yet, I believe. So I think some of that factor of newness that we talked about in football, it's great, might not be there in basketball. Yeah. Uh, Houston will be fine when they show up. Um, yeah, they'll be just fine. <laughs> that I think be, yeah, okay. Cincinnati and, and BYU have enough history of success that I'm not, I think in football side, in basketball, they... I think we'll get there. I don't. I mean, on the one hand, it's it's awesome that there's no nights off. On the other hand, getting to have UCF isn't a bad thing. Like they're still going to win games, but it'd be nice to have a night off every once in a while. Yeah, they, look, they've got UCF, a little bit further away to go, I think, than everybody else does. I, like I don't like UCF. So tired of hearing this, and like you're going to win games in the conference. Like you're not going to show up and go winless. Um, but I do think. And this is going to be a conversation with them with everything. And we're going to talk about the four coming here in a minute. There's going to be a learning curve. And I think football is going to be tough. I think basketball might actually be harder because of how stupid, ridiculous the Big 12 is in men's basketball. Um, we're still waiting on Parker to come back. Uh, he had to deal with an emergency. So hopefully he can uh, join us for the rest of this. Uh Josh, let me ask you this, because you, you started your show, you started podcasting in 2020, a uh, year before the announcement that Oklahoma and Texas were leaving and the doom and dread settled in on the Big 12 and Stu Mandel and a bunch of other people told us that the Big 12 was useless and garbage and nobody wanted anybody the teams. And despite what he wants to say now, we all remember that uh, we don't forget Stu. 
Um, but how do you feel about the conference now um, at, from a whole perspective compared to two years ago when it was announced that Oklahoma and Texas were leaving? Like, where do you feel like the conference is now compared to that? Or even now compared to like the day before Oklahoma and Texas, we found out we're going to be leaving for the SEC eventually. You know, I guess we didn't really think about like, you don't, you, I've thought more about the big 12 existentially. And I, and from like this massive 10,000 foot picture than I ever did before it. I, I mean, I never thought about the, the big 12 as a television property. And that part of that was me being, you know, really young. I mean, it was just out of college when I started working, you know, for Sirius XM on big 12 radio and also doing my show. So like, I, I didn't really think of things that way. And, and now I am thinking of things that way. So that is, that is where I am. And, and, there is no greater illustration, I think, of where this conference is than looking at its leadership. So to me, I think about, you know, okay, where's the conference as a whole? Yeah, maybe not as far along as some of the other major leagues, right? Maybe it's not where the Big Ten is. Maybe it's not where the SEC is uh, in terms of like where you are as a league. But I, I do think that the one one thing this conference might not have ever everybody, but at least has is a incredibly competent and potentially successful, you know, a very, very successful commissioner of the league. Brett Yormark, what he has done, and this doesn't mean to be you know, a Brett Yormark party is the best, he's whatever, but number one, trying new things. Uh, he has done a whole lot of that. Uh, I think also too, you even hear this when you hear this from athletic directors and presidents, like they don't love all of his ideas. Uh, you know, I think that they, they find him sometimes to be, you know, uh, aggressive forward thinking and maybe not thinking about all the schools, but that's actually his job. His job is not to think about just K-State or just Iowa State. His job is to think about the whole conference. And I think another thing that illustrates the job he has done is where the Pac-12 is right now. They cannot get a television deal done. It is, it's, it's, I would say it's actually embarrassing. I would almost say borderline embarrassing, but they've kept pushing back deadline after deadline after deadline. We hear about, you know, uh, people dropping out, how much money they're going to get. They might lose teams. All this kind of stuff, it's its negative press. That's all happening because the Big 12 commissioner said, we're going to take this thing way early. We might get a number that some people might think is not worth it, but we're going to get security for a league full of fans and administrators who just felt the nervousness of losing two massive brands. And we're, just, we're still going to make a decent chunk of change. Is it close to the Big 10? Is it close to the uh, SEC? No, but you weren't going to get that. That You were never going to get that. And now you've actually put yourself in a really good position for the future because what happens if the Pac-12 gets damaged? What happens if Oregon and Washington leave and go elsewhere and you pick up some of their schools? Guess what? You are the only conference potentially that shows games. You can get, have an 11 a.m. game, Central Time, you know, an East Coast game that kicks off at noon. You have a game that kicks off at 10.30 Eastern, 11 o'clock Eastern Time. And also your biggest competition out West is gone. You might be the best game in town. And so that move, Calculate a risk as it was. It's already paying off. It's already paying off. And look, the Pac-12 might stay together, but I do not think Oregon and Washington, because they're such good programs and both, you know, they should be good programs, especially in football, are going to stomach massive gaps to uh, the Big Ten and to the SEC. I think they might, you know, take a smaller chunk and go and go elsewhere. But write your Mark's decision to jump the line and get this deal done and cause less of a demand in the immediate and potentially then score them Pac-12 schools at I mean, it's a, it's a play that's had all of these effects down the line, and it was just one of those smart, savvy business moves. And he might not be an East, uh, a Big 12 country guy, but he's a smart businessman, and he's put him in great position. And so because the commissioner seems to know what he's doing, I think the health of the league uh, is is two thumbs up for me. 
You can have the pessimistic view of some and say, the Big 12 is secure because nobody wants their teams. Sure, fine, okay, whatever. Um, but it's underappreciating what that security is because the Pac-12 is not secure. Uh, the ACC is not secure, despite how long that contract is yeah, locked in for. The worst television contract in, in history, yes. Oh, it's just so, it was so, and at the time they were so worried about security and keeping everyone together, but it was a terrible contract. And so, you know what? Sometimes just because you are not the the best thing out there or the coolest thing or the most desirable thing, and so your security is based off of a lack of other options, that's still security. And that still is the first time, like, the conversation, Big 12 Media Days for years is always realignment. We're going to get add teams. We're going to add teams. We're going to add teams. You know, ha, ha, ha. But the big, it always felt like, mm, mm, yeah, conference is still kind of wibbly wobbly. Still never really felt like it all the way 100% recovered from the four teams that left. Like there's a little bit of a, a wound that won't heal up quite all the way. Like, Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. And the conference feels set and stable and unified. And like, to your point, they don't all love Brett Yarmark's ideas. And every AD isn't just, they're not all just simpatico, kumbaya, sitting around a campfire, everyone's agreeing with everything. There's still going to be issues and people who are more concerned with their own school's self-interest, which again, is your job as athletic director is to worry about your school. But it does feel like the conference, for whatever reason you want to throw at it, is the most unified it has been in a very, very long time. And honestly, since the days before Colorado, Nebraska, Missouri, and A&M left, um, and that has value. That that has. And everybody value. wants to be there. Everybody wants to be there. That's there now. You know, I know. Hey, you might love to be in the Big Ten, but like that—that's not happening for you, right? It's just not going to happen for you. Look, if the SEC came calling for one of the big, current Big Twelve schools, yeah, they're going to leave. Duh. Go do if it. Big Ten came calling. Yeah, they're going to leave. Duh. Like any school from anywhere would, and so. That's okay, but you're not you're not sitting here waiting for teams to leave, like Oregon and Washington. You're not trying to figure out how to appease teams so they they don't figure. I mean, not that anybody in the ACC is getting out of that contract early; they they can't afford to. Period. Period of story. But now you have it's 2023. That contract goes till 2036. That's 13 years. You could be looking at 13 years of unrest in the ACC before that contract ends. And I promise, I, I bet you. I mean, think about it this way too. If you're Clemson, Miami, Florida State, you, you know UNC, Duke. Like once that contract ends, I'm. Why would you stay around? Unless you get some. I mean, especially because the, the SEC and the Big Ten. I mean, if you're the Big Ten, Duke, Carolina, that's that's easy call. That is an easy call if you're the Big uh, Ten. Virginia Tech. Virginia, yeah, Tech, like, Tech, Tech, UVA, uh, Tech, UVA, Duke, Carolina, go. And then if I'm into the South part, Miami, FSU, Clemson, and you, know, you pick probably pick somebody else. SEC, right? I mean, SEC says we want to add you. Go ahead. Twenty thirty six will be the, the, I think, the last great upheaval. Um, yes. Miami and Florida State, you know, at a certain point, the SEC doesn't need more schools in Florida. Like that is fair. That like, is fair. I, this whole but like still, Florida State, the, the, Miami those, would go to if like those two brands are able to re- re- retain any relevance at all. You know, at, I would at still a, at a certain point it becomes oversaturation of a very that of is one true. state, like. That is true. That's a fair point. I actually hadn't thought of that before. I, yeah, because they have UF there. I mean, you end up at three, three Florida schools. Like, and that would honestly, be fascinating to see all three of them the same. 
conference. Now, honestly, like I, 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 I would be very curious which one. Not that Florida would get to decide, but I'd be very curious which one if one of them actually were to get the invite. Well, to the SEC. do you think? I'll ask you. Do you think that, that we are, we're? I mean, everybody's actually just heading on, heading to the same place. Do you think we're just going to end up getting kind of like a sixty-four? You know, almost like an NCAA tournament, but it's a full year, kind of a sixty-four team Super League or no. forty-four team. You don't think so? The things look. This is a long again. I think twenty thirty six is the next great upheaval. Thirteen years is a, a thing about the last thirteen years and how different things are. I can't project thirteen years ahead. The number right. of things in my mind that would have to change for that to happen: college athletics have to almost be separated from the universities, like they almost have to be their own entity. Um, the NCAA has to be gone, and some other different organization has to be able to run things. You're asking athletic directors, commissioners. Who well, we just saw what happened with COVID and their inability to get on the same page. We saw what happened with the playoff, getting that figured out, and they couldn't operate on the same page. Like, Unbelievable. There's too Reliance. many egos involved. It's not like you have team owners who all have a mutual self interest. There's too many egos, too many mouths to feed. Too many. I just I think it's too complicated with how college athletics are set up. There's way too many things that have to be decided between now and then. But they did in the end all make the decision that was best for, for them, right? <coughs> the money. I mean, they eventually expanded the playoff and it was like, look, what are we doing here? That's that's not but that's because the school presidents went, what are you doing? Yeah. Stop screwing. Well, I mean, the, the, and, the, and, the, the, the alliance was an embarrassing uh, just stunt that put off CFP expansion for a year that ended up backfiring because one school, you know, one conference took schools, another conference in the, in the alliance anyway. But yeah, I, 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 um, I, I started to do this there. But, you know, it's kind of like thinking about all, you know, the big 12 It's hard to think about the conference in context of all these other leagues. Right. Yeah. And so it's, that's where I'm at with just like, if you're, if you're going to be one of the bottom three leagues, the big 12 is in a good spot, especially because they go to the market another time in 2030. And they, actually they could beat the, they could beat the ACC to market again, right after yeah, that, if they, they wanted will. to, uh, which I think they potentially. would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Josh, let's, let's uh, kind of look ahead to this coming year a little bit. Obviously, uh, Oklahoma and Texas have both been held out of the Big 12 title game in football the last two seasons. Um, is it important, do you think, for the perception of the Big 12, for them to keep both or one of out of the Big 12 title game in their last season in the conference before they leave for the SEC? Like, in my mind, it doesn't matter, but it also kind of does the doom scenario of Oklahoma and Texas both making the Big 12 title game this coming season, which I actually think is a possibility given the way their schedule set up this coming year. Um, and I do think Texas in year three of Sarkeesian will be able they, I don't think people like we laugh about Texas. <laughs> that should be a really hell of a team. lot. They were a hell of a lot closer to doing, Horrifying. to making it last yeah. year than people want to give them credit for. Right. Um, like, Quinn Ewers is like, well, it's his third year in college. He's technically a sophomore. He left high school a year early, spent a year at Ohio State. They went like, let, let's let's have a real conversation that Texas is kind of a scary, scary, could, very scary. Gonna, I think they might be the favorite heading into this season, and Oklahoma should make a decent rebound in year two. There's a real scenario because of OU's schedule, which is very friendly to OU somehow. That Oklahoma and Texas are both a Big 12 title game. Is that the doom scenario for the Big 12 in their last season? Is they both get there or does it matter? Yes, it does. Because no matter what happened the last two years with those schools being down, it's it's all about what happened recently. And so it, here's what's going to happen if OU and Texas make it. Well, that shows it, doesn't it? That just shows that these teams are on a different playing field. 
and and you know they're right where they should be uh and they're leaving the sec and there's a reason why just totally forgetting that you know a year previous and i mean last season oklahoma had their first losing year since 1998 right um and, and that just and you were right about texas you know i think people forget this but on the last day of the year, Kansas State had to beat Kansas to secure their spot in the Big 12 championship game because Texas put the pressure on them. Now, should Texas have been better? Yes. But um, it kind of gets to the idea now that, that this league has been so topsy-turvy the last two years that, you know, it's almost worse that those are kind of the two presumptive favorites because we're like, okay, we've got no idea how this thing's going to go. So which two teams have the most talent? Right. And it would be Texas and Oklahoma. If you'd say now, uh, I don't trust those coaches the most. That's fine. That's fine. But if you were to say, well, last year, I trust Dave Aranda, even after one good year, look what happened last year. If you were to say, I trust Mike Gundy. Oh my God. He completely lost his locker room. It appeared, you know, at one point of that season and lost his quarterback, which was mind boggling to me that, 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 that the situation got there. And I've got, I've got no concerns about Mike Gundy, the football coach. I've got a lot of concerns about Mike Gundy, the manager of talent and manager of people. And so it's like, look, I trust I, Mike Gundy might get the best out of this group, but I've got no idea what that ceiling is in this league because he's got some guys from places I've never heard of. He's got one coach in his defense I've never heard of, right? The Brian Narda before, you know, coming into this season. So that is, that is always, and, and then TCU lost a ton. K-State's got the quarterback, you know, and, and some pieces back. So you're excited. I think, I, I mean, I think that's the other team too. I think K-State, Texas, no, you and three that you're kind of looking at right now. Um, but once again, like we have these favorites that we like a lot. And all of a sudden, you know, Iowa State, right? Top seven, eight team a couple years ago, went seven and five, ended up seven and six. And they lost to, to uh, Clemson, the cheese it Bowl. So that's the hard part about, you know, the handicapping part of this. Um so if you actually looked at the league, like, no, it's not a big deal because guess what? We've been cycling through championship teams, you know, teams in the championship game for the last three years now. Um, if you looked at, you know, and, and if Texas made, I guess, you know, that'd be um, in the last four years, 70% of the league would have gone to the big 12 championship game. But if you're just taking it as the final year heading into, uh, you know, heading into the SEC, You'd say, well, there, you know, people are gonna say, well, there it is. There, there's your proof. Is there all you need to know right there? OU and Texas are superior teams, superior programs, and they should be leaving the league. That's what folks will say. Should they? No. Should that be the case? No. And maybe they are superior teams this year. But that's the thing. The the teams in this league are only superior for like one year right now. That's been the case the last three seasons. So that's what uh that's why I think it's a great point that you bring up this conversation because it will be a conversation if that's the case. Not like this is just the trend of the league. Narratives matter, man. Narratives carry oh so much weight. And and it would be just for anyone who would love to poke at the Big 12, that will be the conversation that is had. Um to your point on teams making the championship game. Uh, this is a fun little thing that we've been tracking for a while. Ever since the championship game came back, someone has made their first appearance every year. Someone has had a first time appearance in it. Ever since every single year, so year one you get OU and TCU, and then you get uh, Texas, and then you get Baylor, and then you get Iowa State, and then you get Oklahoma State, and then you get uh, oh, I'm missing somebody. Uh, oh, Kansas State. Kansas State. So although the Kansas State go to the old 
when they have the old Again, one, it's not about the old it, because okay. this is since it came back, right? Someone has back. made their first appearance every year. We've had a new, we've had a first timer in the new Big 12 tournament championship game every right, year since right. it came back. So, seven teams have made it. Kansas State this last year. Only ones who haven't so far of the current iteration are Texas Tech, Kansas, and West Virginia. You have four new teams coming in in Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF. Okay, here's the question, and I enjoy doing this because I think that's tough. This is the year, this is the year it ends. You know, I'm about to ask you, is, yeah, I know. If this trend is going to continue this season and somebody new is going to make it, we've talked about Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas State. Baylor was preseason number eight when they made it against Oklahoma State. Like TCU was preseason, I think, what, seven the last year coming into it. Like the teams picked one and two. That, uh, whoever, whoever's preseason number two has never actually made the Big 12 turn- championship game since it came back. Really fun fact, too. Uh, of those seven teams, the four coming, the three who haven't made it, who makes it this year? So this is, I love this question. It's difficult because it, it, um, the team that has to do it is West Virginia, because I think it's the only case in which Neil Brown saves his job. Uh, like I, I think he is like post whatever hot seat is because he's only the coach still number one. Cause that bad extension Shane Lyons gave him. And number two, because they just got a new athletic director. And I don't think he wanted to like do a search while he was tr- still trying to learn the school. Right. You want to do the second step of that uh, before, you, you know, you want to learn the school, then hire the coach, not the way around. So that's why he's that's why he's it. They have to do it. Uh, the other ones would be Kansas. They got a lot of returning talent, but they're they're the one thing for KU is like we were talking about them how they're on the right trajectory and they're just hitting their scholarship limit. We've talked to in Parker mentions to the injuries, like they've built a really good first line. They got to start filling gaps in the first line and also start building a second line too. You know to to get that reinforcement. So it's not there. Texas Tech has the red hot. Factor. People love Joey McGuire. People love what they accomplished last year. People love the style of play. But the one bigger question here with all of this is when we start talking about them like punching up in weight classes in the big games they played last year. So my exam here's my examples of this. NC State beat them now. You know, then what they, they had the quarterback carousel last year, but they use their quarterback so much that like injuries are going to happen. They're chucking the ball that many times and also having the quarterback run as much as their quarterbacks did last year. Like quarterback injuries might be a common thing at Texas Tech. They kind of have to think about a usage, uh, you know, a little bit of usage rate to use an NBA term. NC State, not able to get the job done. The Kansas State game, not able to get the job done, right? The fourth quarter went sideways for them. That Baylor game at home felt like a bit, and they lost to Oklahoma State too. That Baylor game at home felt like a big moment. The night game, Patrick Mahomes night, and they completely crumbled. I mean, just were, their defense had no chance in that game because their offense threw, what, five interceptions, uh, whatever it was in that game. And, you know, I'm going through all these games and, and the TCU game, fourth quarter got, I know a lot of teams got, got, got by TCU, but they fell victim to that as well. They had that nice three game stretch at the end of the year. But when we're talking about the big games, the bigger moments, you're punching up a weight class against those teams that are either, you know, because they beat OU in Texas last year, which was huge. But those, those moments were his Patrick Mahomes night, or, you know, you're, you're tied with TCU on the road late in the game. Uh, and the final game was tied, you know, late in the game. Other than that, they were winning. They just they were not stout enough in the end. Their defense wasn't good enough. So the execution wasn't good enough. And so I'm wondering if it's a stylistic thing, just because they're they are a, I mean, Zach Kittley's offense is. A, if you want to talk about inefficiencies, it is just like the all time, you know, spread, spread, spread. You know, just distribution. That's that's what we're doing. We're getting the ball out. We're getting the ball fast. We're running a lot of plays. All that kind of stuff. Can it stand up? 
Because this is as much as people say, talked about earlier, the seven on seven league thing. You know, what do people say about it? That's not where this league is anymore. You still need to win at the line of scrimmage to win this league. Um, can they do that? I do not know. I am fascinated to find out because of the talent they've got coming back, the uh, hype behind them, the coaches they have, and they've got a very good coaching staff. So Texas Tech is your leader in the clubhouse to be the new new um, kind of new appearance, but their results last year and what felt like significant games against upper level competition towards the later part of the season, that's what kind of worries me a little bit. I don't think it can be. I don't think it's any of the four incoming. I don't. I think I don't either. Way too, way too hard of a year one to see. That. I think you might see a one go like five and zero, oh, like six and zero, oh, but then it's going to be like the oh, we're not playing ECU this week. <laughs> like we have to deal with Jalen Daniels this week, as opposed to you know you play Navy in in the AAC. I, I like Kansas State was the team last year, and like I was on the Kansas State hype train, and seeing them get there wasn't surprising. Like right. Texas Tech feels like the answer this year, but I am far less confident in Texas Tech this year in this offseason than I was Kansas State last offseason. And part of that is like the trajectory for the Joey McGuire was always like year three. Like you had year one, your mm-hmm. year one was great. You didn't take a big step back. Year two, you continue to build. The recruiting continues to increase. Now you've got that first freshman class. You're going to get another class. Year three is the year I went, okay. Because I still like, I don't feel like they're settled at quarterback because again, they can't keep one healthy all season long. I do think they lost some significant pieces from last season. I don't think that could be argued. I just, like, year three is the year. I I think this is the year the trend ends. I would be, I mean, it would take a lot. And look, Texas Tech's schedule, I think, is somewhat favorable in conference. They don't play Oklahoma. They have to go to Texas with the last game of the year. They get Kansas State at home. They get TCU at home. like what is it? They go to they go to Wyoming to open the year because it's not a conference conference play. They have to go to West Virginia early. Well, I mean, we'll see what West Virginia looks like. They go to Baylor in state at Kansas at BYU. Like I, I I think Texas Tech's schedule is favorable for them to see maybe another win compared to last year. But I just I don't think the foundation is is sturdy enough there for them to do it. Kansas they just don't have the depth to be able to, to pl- survive late into the season. West Virginia, I mean. No Brown's coaching for his job. Although we did have Ryan Ani on the show, and he said the funniest one would be West Virginia because they'd be so. It'd be hilarious because they'd because have to get, like they'd have to they'd keep have him. to keep him, and nobody would believe he it wasn't a fluke. Uh, and I just I don't have enough confidence in in the four incoming. Uh, yeah, the only coach, the only like coach I would give confidence to is Gus Malzahn. I'm not sure, but like that team was John Rice Plumley. You know, it wasn't like this awesome machine last year for them offensively. And one more thing on Texas Tech, just really fast, is that. Um, you know, how often do we see it where it's like, man, our expectation, you know, coach crushed it in year number one. Now, I think, I think Tennessee and South Carolina are big examples where like, they're going to suffer a little bit from this, that like people forget eight and five is a really strong, that's, that's a strong year for, for Texas Tech. That's like consistently where they were under Mike Leach. Like repeating that would be good. But once you get that taste and you see how the league churns itself, they, they want big 12 title this year. And I, I'm sure you've heard from their fans. That's, that's kind of their goal. That's their aim. They think it's going to be a, yeah, oh, they are, the Tech fans, they are red hot right now after that season thinking about where they're going to be next next year. Uh, and look, I get it. I understand it. Just remember, like, that was an awesome year, and it would be great if you all repeated something similar to that again. So I think the Texas Tech fans would uh, would be would be happy for that. Uh, there's nothing worse than overachieving in year one. And I think to various degrees, obviously, both Joey McGuire 
and Sonny Cumbie both did that. For Sonny Cumbie and TCU, the only way down, the only way to go really is down from here after last year. But Sonny Dykes, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Dykes. sorry. Yeah. Sorry, there's too many Sunnies that have been associated with the Big 12. A lot of Sunnies. Yes, too yeah, many Sunnies. Uh, okay, well, Josh, uh, uh, Parker had an emergency. I don't think he's going to make it back. That's okay. Uh, I hope everything's okay with him. Uh, Josh, let's wrap up on this. We've talked about the forward incoming. Here's the question. It's very specific. Which incoming fan base is going to be the most disappointed in year one in the Big 12? Now, let me make me clarify here. That it's not who's going to have the worst season in football in year one. Which fan base is going to be the most disappointed in their first year in the Big 12? Cincinnati, I think. I think it's going to be Cincinnati. I think it's because they're... I, I would put Houston out there too. Like, like those, those are two that come to my mind. Because... Cincinnati, and I think it's going to maybe come in basketball too. I think they believe they're a little bit closer than they actually are. And they're going through a coaching change and they're changing conferences at the same time. And their basketball team is, you know, I think Cincinnati, they should be good at basketball, but they, they are not all the way back yet with Wes Miller at the helm there. Well, like a lot, uh, Houston, I mean, like, they, those two schools should be pretty – like Houston's uh, – Houston, to me, is this massive sleeping giant, right? And I think a lot of their fans see it that way. I mean, they're in this massive market. They offer a chance for kids to stay at home. They offer a chance for kids who went somewhere else to now stay at home. They offer a lot of kids who want to – you know, uh, now you know if they want to come back home, they can still play in a co- power conference, which was not the case for for Houston. Also, basketball-wise, they have been on a, a, tear, a really good tear. They have not won. They have been on a tear. So I think that they're – their expectations with the coaches, the resources, all those things are gonna be pretty high. I think there's a chance they don't might not meet them because just being, you know, like I went to Missouri. That was an aberration, guys. What happened in football? Like it really was an aberration for what happened with Missouri the first two years in the SEC. They went there at the right time when that you know Georgia wasn't all the way you know back up to where it is. They're able to go twice the the, the SEC championship game. Uh, I I know this league it feels pretty wide open. But like it, it doesn't feel like that wide open, right? Like the rubber's going to meet the road, especially in the week in, week out grind. So, I would say Cincinnati and Houston. But have you got? Have you asked? Have, have you gotten answers from everybody? Have you have you gotten all over the board? Have you gotten a BYU? Have you gotten a UCF, a Cincinnati, and a Houston? I'm kind of curious what the answers have been to that question. So this is the this is you're the first person I've actually asked this question. It's a question I feel like I'm going to ask a lot this off season because I do think it's very unique and saying. It's not who's going to have the worst season. It's which fan base is coming in with the most unrealistic expectations of what they should be in year one in a new conference and will be most disappointed in how their team performs. So this is a team that may go seven and five, but their team, their fan base has decided, no, we're coming to the Big 12. We're going to be awesome. This is going to be great. It's no problem for us. And I would have said Cincinnati, but I actually think Cincinnati, had they been able to keep Luke Fickle, would have been in the running for the team makes it to the Big 12 title game for the first time, right? Um, Houston, I think I haven't seen enough from Houston fans. Like, I think they're more keyed in on like, we're going to be good in basketball year one. Whereas football, they're just like, who the hell knows with Dana? Like he's been in this conference. So yeah. There needs to be his, his, his return to the big 12 is going to be very weird because oh, they're man. kind of a crossroads with their programs, not as good as they should be, but also you wouldn't want to can a coach like that. Who's got experience and is, was a pretty good coach in the league. So like they're in a very odd position, I feel like, uh, football-wise, which I think you're right. Like it's more of a wait-and-see approach with football. I think the answer is UCF because, A, I don't think there's a – like that fan base is 
They are they are as online UCF as Twitter, Iowa baby. State, Iowa State, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. Like they are very online fan base. Now I do think there's some very realistic fans in that fan base. Um, many of us we follow some on Twitter, some of them follow us, but I, I do think there is a large contingent of UCF fans. A very large contingent because well, we beat Florida in a bowl game and we've been playing really good and we had that undefeated season and and there is this expectation that they should show up and be immediately competitive. Like be coming in, not necessarily win the conference in year one, but not be as far away as you would expect from a program going from G5 to P5. And what I keep trying to remind them is like, I understand that college football now uh, is not the same as it was when TCU and West Virginia joined the Big 12, right? But TCU was rolling. I mean, the four, the four seasons before they joined the Big 12, 11 and 2, 12 and 1, 13 and 0, 11 and 2. They went 7 and 6, 4 and 8 their first two years in the Big 12. Like, I understand it's, the transition is not the same. You've had two years to prepare as opposed to one. And transfer, transfers help a lot. But I, I think UCF fans might be overly ambitious for the most part about where they're going to be in the big 12 right out of the gate. Do I think that they're one of the programs who has the best potential to be good? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do uh, of, of all of them since today's been a yeah. successful program, but like Luke fickle was this past run more than it was Cincinnati. BYU has been up. has, has should be okay in year one because they're used to playing difficult. A lot of power five teams, I don't know if Dana Hogerson is familiar with the conference helps or hurts because it's not like he was awesome when he was in charge of West Virginia in the Big 12. UCF's the one I think has maybe the highest potential once they get to the conference, but I think year one expectations are too high for right now. Well, their fan base is so online because they're all young, right? They're, they're alumni. They got a massive alumni base, but they're all young alumni. And they're all like these like poorer, younger, not, I mean, like you think about what Michigan's massive alumni base, right? But it's like a lot of really wealthy people because they built this thing up over time. UCF is a large, large, large alumni base, but like a lot of young, younger, not as wealthy fans who are like online and angsty. And, and so most like, of them know, have, have been UCF fans while UCF has been successful. Right. And yeah, they've kind of got, yeah, they've got that, that part about them. You know, they, they've, they've produced, yes, it's Scott Frost obviously didn't go well, but they've produced Scott Frost and they, you know, spit out Josh Heupel and they, uh, you know, out now have a, a guy in Gus Malzahn who is a championship winning coordinator. You know, so they've, they've got all these, uh, you know, they got a lot to tout, I guess, but yeah, it's, it's a whole different ball game, man. It's a whole different ball game. It will be very interesting to see. I'm, I'm very intrigued because this is going to be a, uh, there. I've said this, I don't know how many people, it's going to be the, there is nothing like what is about to happen in the Big 12 this year. We talked about this with Ryan Nani, and, and there's nothing historically, not even like the Big East with teams coming in and out. There is nothing historically like what we are about to see in the Big 12 because of two teams that are ready to go, four new teams who are getting the shot they've been waiting years for, old relationships that are being reestablished like Houston and Texas, who Texas cannot stand the very idea that Houston could possibly be in the same conference as them. The very, that very thought is just right. like, I don't think they even, they just ignore, like they're not here. They're just, it's fine. Cause we're not here. We're in the sec now. We're just hanging out for a little while while we pack up a few things that are still in the house. It, there is nothing like what is about to go down to the big 12, not historically anywhere. And it is, it's going to be awesome. 
and incredible. Awesome. And I and unexpected. And, and, and you already have a Big 12 where we're seeing teams preseason picked in the back half make it to the title game or having incredible runs. Who the hell knows? I, I like who the hell knows, man. Who the hell knows? It is. It's gonna be a blast. Well, I, I'm sorry, Parker couldn't make back. Uh, Josh, I do appreciate your time. We went from a roundtable to uh, just a nice cross interview. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it was a lot of fun, man. I enjoyed it. Man, you do incredible work covering the Big Twelve. Thank you. Uh, I, and I mean that. Like, look, I, we're supposed to be competition. Whatever. We're all here to support the Big Twelve. There's enough room in the world for multiple Big Twelve podcasts. Everybody of course knows there that. Are. Of course yes. there are. We had it. We reached listen a couple to, other other people. Listen to, to it all, people. On. Listen to it all. Get all the opinions in there. Love the Big Twelve, and uh, you know, just like we are, we are, we are secure with ourselves, and and all unified and promoting the Big Twelve message, and not mm-hmm. worried about TV contracts and stuff. But do me a favor, Josh. Where can everybody check out the work you do covering the Big Twelve conference? You guys can find me on Twitter at Josh Neighbors underscore. You guys can find the show at LO Big 12. And you guys can find us on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, as well as Stitcher, Spotify, all of those places. You guys can find us five days a week, Monday through Friday, and then sometimes six on special occasions. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, that's where you guys can find us. We don't cover realignment a ton on this show. Uh, oh, then then I'll will be a good which is uh, why good supplement that because which is what I was going to say. Uh, it, we had John Kurtz on last week. Make sure you're listening to him. Listen to Josh, who does it a lot as well. Not a shot. I just no. It's which I like. There, like I, my viewpoint is always this: like um, if if there's a bunch of people doing something already and doing it very well i don't need to just be another voice echoing in the chamber i'll do something else and let you guys own that and you guys have done an incredible job so keep it up yeah the sports media space is, is it's just like covering sports media is very fun i find it so uh, it just kind of lines up with kind of my you know some of my interests as well uh on that front it's, it's been a lot of fun to, to hear about what the folks want what schools they want to add and i don't the big 12 not done not done in that category i don't think it'll be this time but it'll happen soon it's gonna happen. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Always, anytime. Sports Social Podcast Network.